Welcome to episode 167 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. 
I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 167 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing absolutely great. How about you? I am great now. (laughs) Yeah, I know there's a story you're going to tell, and I've been waiting to hear it because you were going to tell me on the podcast, but I know a little bit of it, but I wanted her to hear it fresh (laughs) when I told her. So for listeners, I'll just tell the story. So about two weeks ago now, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, I went out, I came back a few hours later, and I came to my door. This makes you realize how the brain when you're not expecting something, how you don't like put two and two together. So I opened the door and it was unlocked. And I was like, that's weird. I normally lock the door. And then I opened the door and you know how there can be like a molding, like a frame around a door, like a border. So part of that was on the ground. They had like pried open your door frame, the trim. The trim. Yeah. The trim. That's the word. The trim. It was on the ground. And I looked at it and I was like, that's wrong. My thought was like, it just fell off the wall. (laughs) How strange. (laughs) And then I looked in the middle of the den and one of my bags that I normally keep by the door was just like randomly on the ground. And I was like, that's strange. I just like dropped that in the middle of the floor (laughs) and didn't realize. And then I looked over to my bathroom door, which I always keep open and it was closed. And I was like, that's weird. I was like, maybe maintenance came in and like did something. And then I looked up to where my big computer is and it was gone (laughs) and I freaked out and I like backed out of the door so fast and was like pounding my phone but you know when you like don't when you mess up the code it like locks you out so it was like emergency calls only and I was like yes emergency and I called 911 which I never done before it was funny though because they were like are you out of the apartment I was like yes and then they like walked me through the steps and everything I had put my purse on the counter and I was like can I get my purse and they're like yes you can and I was like are you sure I was like how do you know I can they're like yes you can but yeah so basically I got robbed and they took my large mac computer my laptop my very large tv my hard drive and then like all the miscellaneous things that are attached to your computer that is terrifying I know. And because of quarantine, COVID situation, I mean, I needed a new computer because, I mean, my whole work, everything is from the computer. So I needed a computer. Like I had two interviews that week for the podcast. So the closest Apple store open was in Birmingham, two hours away. So I had to drive to Birmingham the next day. And by the way, the one in Augusta is open. Oh, really? Yeah. I went into it the other day. I got a new iPad. How far is that from Atlanta? It's max of two and a half hours. Okay. Two, two hours, depending on how you drive. 
I wonder if it just opened. It's possible. I went in there. I bought a new iPad the other day. You know, it was, you know, take your temperature, put on your mask, one person at a time. Yeah. Yeah, so you said, like, drive two hours, pick it up, drive back. And then it was a limit, so I actually had to drive back, like, that Thursday and get it, <laughs> return it and get a new one. But while it was really terrible, and I don't think I've ever cried that much in my life and just felt so awful, have you been broken into before? Well, I've never been broken into as an adult in anywhere that I've lived. Now, when I was 10 years old, I remember my parents were divorced, and so I would spend the summer at my dad's or you know, part of the summer at my dad's down here, and then I would go back home to Virginia. So we were I was going to be flying out of Atlanta. So we were in Atlanta. Daddy and I went to see a Braves game. But I had had my 10th birthday while I was there for the summer. And so I had all of my birthday presents. I had like a big birthday party at a pool with all, you know, my my South Carolina friends because he lived in just over the border in Aiken, South Carolina. And, I mean, all my back-to-school clothes that we had shopped for, and we had it all in my luggage, and it was in the trunk of the car. And while we were at the Braves game, somebody broke into the trunk of the car and stole all my luggage. So it was like literally everything I owned as a 10-year-old, all my birthday presents. I mean, can you imagine? It was everything I got for my birthday, plus all my back-to-school clothes, gone. That's really sad. It was really sad, so that was it. But, I mean, I still really, really, really remember that. It's what everybody's been saying when I was telling people. It's such a violating feeling. Like, you just, especially when they came into your home. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine. I would have, I can't imagine, like, being able to relax there. I, like, I would want to move. I'm not kidding. It was really intense. But I'm actually, when it happened, I kept thinking, like, you know, bad things happen and then, and, you know, good things come from it. And I was like, I really don't know what good is going to come from this. But actually, I can already say, I actually think I am grateful it happened because I didn't have like the security system turned on or anything. And now I am so aware of the importance of security. So listeners, <laughs> I'm like a walking PSA for security now. Like I'll like, be at the grocery store. I'll be like, do you have security? <laughs> you might want to get it. <laughs> so I ordered Simply Safe. They're not a sponsor of the podcast, but it's like now there's a lot of like security systems where you don't have to commit to like, you know, installing a system that is tied to your apartment or tied to your house and you pay like a long contract. There's like Ring and Nest and Simply Safe where you basically build it yourself and you you buy the sensors that you want, you buy the cameras that you want, you buy the everything that you want and then you you set it up to fit your apartment and then you can pay for like monthly monitoring. It's great. I actually made a link for listeners because when you buy it, they give you like a friend offer. So if you go to MelanieAvalon.com slash safe, you get a free camera, which I actually, I got the free camera. But now I'm so grateful because, yes, they took all my electronics, which is like the entirety of my work. They didn't take your juve, right? They didn't. I know, I know everybody was like, did they take your juve? <laughs> they didn't know what it was. I was like, no, these were clearly not biohackers. <laughs> they did not know what that was. They're like, I don't know what this big thing is, but we're not taking that. Otherwise, that would have been the one thing they took if they were biohackers. They would have been like, oh, my God, a juve. I know. My mom was like, did they take your sauna? I was like, no, they didn't. So now I'm really grateful because I have I have the security. I'm going to be so secure moving forward. And then the overwhelming support I received because I told my Facebook group about it. And they actually started a care fund for me, which was like the most gen- – I like want to start crying thinking about it. I don't know. Everybody was just so beautiful and generous and kind and supportive. So – 
I feel like I learned so much. I'm making lifestyle changes that I think are very beneficial. I feel like I'm going to be telling every other else to be making these changes. So, and I did get all my stuff. I mean, I didn't get my stuff back, but I got new stuff. Uh, by the way, it's thundering here. So if anybody hears any thunder sounds, it just started thundering. Yeah. So anyway, thundering. I love thunder. So guess what, though? What? This relates to fasting, sort of. So I was tracking my laptop and my computer, and they weren't showing up. And then randomly, my computer showed up about 11 p.m., about a half hour away. So I called 911. I was like, it's there. Can we go get it? And they were like, well, you actually have to go there and then call 911. And I was like, okay. So I started driving there and I called my mom to tell her. She was like, Melanie, you can't. She's like, no, you can't. Do not go. <laughs> Do not go to your stolen good at 11 p.m. <laughs> so she freaked out. So I turned around and I went the next day and called 911 and had them meet me. And long story short, we did not find it, but I was talking with the cop and the conversation came up of what do I do? And I said, I was a podcaster and what was it about? And I said, intermittent fasting. And he was like, oh, I've, I've tried intermittent fasting. He was like, I've tried the like 16, eight. I was like, yeah. And he was like, he was like, yeah, I watched this documentary with like some Asian guy. And I was like, yep, Dr. Fung. <laughs> so yep. It's out there. I feel like it always comes up in conversation. Yeah, it came up. We had a guy come over today where when we bought this house, it has a deck on the back that's like past its prime. You know how wooden decks are and they get old and it's been painted over the years. And like one part of it, if if you stand there, your foot's going to go through. And the other part, like there's this bench and it's crashing. I mean, it's you know, it need, we knew it needed to be replaced when we bought the house, but we're going to add a screened porch. So the contractor came today and we were meeting with him and showing him what we wanted to do. And yesterday I had mentioned I couldn't talk right then because I was podcasting, but I would call him back afterwards. He's like, oh, what's your podcast about? And I told him intermittent fasting. He's like, oh, I just heard of that two days ago. And then he told me the name of one of his friends who was telling him about it. And I was like, oh, that's fun. Let me look and see if that person's in my group. And they were. (laughs) So his friend who's intermittent fasting is in the regular Delay Don't Deny group, which was really, really cool. You know, here I am in Augusta, and these are all Augusta people, so it makes sense that somebody in the Augusta intermittent fasting world would be more likely to be in our group. It's such a small world. Well, you know, we have in my groups, if you put them together, we hit 100,000 in the One Meal a Day group today, plus we have over 260,000 in Delay Don't Deny, plus the advanced group is right at 25,000. So if you do all of that math, that's a third of a million people. That's crazy. More than a third of a million people. Anyway, it is it is crazy. Once we get to half a million, I'm just going to lose my mind. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And it's growing really quickly right now, which is interesting. You know, we've been noticing the membership requests. And in December and January, membership requests were crazy. There was one week where we added 10,000 members around the new year. That was like huge. But then they really, you know, leveled off and then they were down very, you know, a lot lot slower throughout the early days of the pandemic. Our members were growing very slowly, but all of a sudden we're adding them at a really quick pace again. So I wonder if that's a sign that people are, you know, getting back to their normal routine. They've realized that, hmm, you know, maybe my health habits weren't the best during the quarantine. And they're coming back to intermittent fasting. So it's, it's really exciting to see the interest building back up. 
Yeah, I love it. I think for my little baby group, which I love, which everybody should join, which I just changed the name to. I have, did I tell you that? I changed the name. No. I took out the word paleo because I felt like even though I consider paleo to be basically like whole foods, you know, no dairy, legumes. Well, I don't know. I felt like people who were like vegan or vegetarian and things like that saw paleo and thought it was not inclusive of that or thought it had to be keto or, you know, it just has like associations with it. So I took out that word. It's just IF biohackers, intermittent fasting plus real foods plus life. And then I added Melanie Avalon in parentheses so that people could search Melanie Avalon and it would come up. I think it's finally at the point now where Facebook is suggesting it to people. Because it's growing quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. But also, do you still consider yourself to be paleo? Like if you had to label what you eat, would you say paleo? Yeah, that's the ironic thing because I think paleo has taken on all of these connotations or associations, which I still 100% identify with what I think paleo is, which to me, it's the foods we ate as paleolithic people, which is meat, vegetables, fruits. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, it's ironic. I I still like 100% identify with it, but I don't think it is a good label now because I think people think other things. Okay. I was just curious. I'll just say it one more time. Listeners, get home security. Please, 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 please learn from my mistake. Oh, and you guys know I do a lot of research. I spent hours researching between Ring, Nest, and Simply Safe. And they all seem to be really good, but I did really like from all my research, Simply Safe. So melanieavalon.com slash simply safe to get that free camera, which I have. Well good. We're in the Nest community, so Oh, you have a nest? Yeah. Do you like it? We love it. I love it. It's so nice to feel like safe. You know, I really do love it. Like we also have a nest at our beach condo, so we can, you know, call it up there too. So I can manage it from, you know, somewhere else. I can check to see if the door is locked from here. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. It is amazing. So yeah, definitely everybody be safe, figure out a way. And I tell you, I would have (laughs) moved. Maybe not. Maybe not. It's easier to say that than, you know, moving is hard. Well, but one thing is it happened and I was like, well, they're not going to come back right away. And then I learned because when you get broken into, then you start Googling, like, what do you not know about break-ins? And you like learn all the things. Apparently, people think that robbers don't often go back to the same location, but they often do. They're probably like, yeah, I saw a great juve in a sauna. I'm going to go back for those later when I have a truck. Yeah, they see what they didn't get. It said that oftentimes they'll feel more confident. They think if they did it once, they can do it again. But I think that might probably apply more to houses where they see like other ways that they could get in and stuff. Oh, and then what was more reassuring was apparently when they do come back, it's usually within the first one or two weeks. So I was like, oh. Well, I will say this. I will say the most scared I've ever, well, one of the most scared I've ever been was when my son Will's car was stolen. It was in, hmm, I don't know, 2018, maybe, 2017, 2018, somewhere around there. He was in high school. But they stole his car because he left the keys in it (laughs) down by the river while he was there for play practice in downtown Augusta and left the keys in it, left his wallet in the car. You know, he wasn't very bright at the time, right? They came along and stole his car. But not only did they have his car and his car keys, they also had his driver's license with his home address and our house key. Yeah, that's scary. I was terrified because the whole night I'm like, okay, someone has got our car and they know our address and they have our house key. 
I was so scared. But they found the car. Luckily, the police did a great job. They recovered it. They actually went out and found it within, like, two hours after it being reported as stolen. Someone was actually driving it around the neighborhoods. It was, like, a 14-year-old kid and a whole carload full of teenage kids. Yeah. Everyone got out and ran except they caught one of them. But we got the keys back. We didn't get his wallet back. That was gone. But we got all the keys back, which was good. So no one had the house key. Thank goodness. But it was really scary. And you do feel violated. Yeah. They didn't take any of my cards or my wallet or anything because that was all with me. But my computer had all of my, I mean, it had everything on it. So I still don't know if I'm hoping they just erased everything and wiped it clean to try to pawn it. But I don't know. Well, everybody stay safe. Yes, and get security. Yeah, I think I think having a security system is really important. Me too. All right, shall we get started? Yes, yes. All right, we have something from Tracy, and the subject is COVID recovery and IF. Tracy says, Dear Melanie and Jen, I write to you from the UK and hope that you and yours are well and keeping body and soul together at this challenging time. I joined the IF movement in January this year after yet another failed attempt to diet and lose weight. A friend of mine suggested I look up Jen's books initially, and then I joined the Facebook group and then found your brilliant podcast. I'm really enjoying learning about this way of life, and I'm reading your books and recommended scientific papers, too. Although my weight loss is slow and steady, my general health is improving, and I feel so much better with several non-scale victories. I have rediscovered my satiety signals, I am eating whole foods, and find the 24 window in the evening works best for me around family and my hospital shifts. My question is around recovery. I have recently had the COVID-19 virus, but fortunately it was a mild form and I wasn't hospitalized. I am now five weeks into my recovery and am feeling so much better. I still have inflammation in my sinuses, which I think the mask wearing for my entire shift at work contributes towards, and I still have breathlessness from time to time. I am building up my exercise again and have been told the after effects may take months to totally recover from. I have continued my IF routine throughout, and I'm convinced that this is helping my recovery. Have you read or heard of any science that would back this up? Thank you for your wonderful written work, your research, and your brilliant podcast. I am so relieved to have found IF and the continued positive support of yourselves and the whole IF community. Best wishes, Tracy. And I loved reading that because Tracy is one of the people I was just talking about that joined in that huge wave of January joiners. Oh, awesome. Yeah. You know, we had... A lot of people joining, so I'm glad she's doing well. Yeah, Tracy, we're very happy that you're on the recovery. I think you're the only person who has written to us who actually had COVID, I think. On the podcast, there are people in the groups, yes. I know of several in the groups. But directly to the podcast, at least. One thing about COVID, this keeps coming up over and over in all of the podcasts I listen to, like Rob Wolf, Peter Atiyah, Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey. There's all this conversation about how with COVID, there's not enough discussion in the like news media government side of things for how important our metabolic health and our immune system is. Well, there is around the immune system, but there's not as much talk about how supporting our metabolic health is really, really key for having a strong immune system and, you know, 
making yourself less susceptible to COVID and then also helping with recovery on the other side. I even heard recently there was a discussion, they were saying, you know, is COVID so bad right now because of the poor metabolic state and diabetes and all of these chronic health issues that we have. And so basically lifestyle and dietary practices that are going to support your metabolic health and your immune system are really, really great anyways, but especially at this time, whether or not you've had COVID. And then if you have had COVID, I would say that anything you can do to support your your health, your overall inflammatory state would be great. And intermittent fasting really does do that. Post-COVID, I think intermittent fasting, and we're not doctors, obviously, but I think it can definitely be a really beneficial thing. And even pre-COVID, we have talked about this a little bit about, you know, should you do longer fast during this time? And that the consensus seems to be daily intermittent fasting is completely fine, if not great for you, but you might not want to be doing like a longer fast, which Jen, would you say like over 36 hours, over 48 hours? Well, it's hard to say. Dr. Jason Fung sent an email out to his email list early on. He felt like alternate daily fasting was probably fine. Again, you know, it's it's all conjecture. The people who are saying don't fast longer, the people who are, you know, Fung saying it's probably fine. Those are best guesses based on the the scenario. We have a ton of people doing alternate daily fasting though, continuing to do it. So, I mean, that's all anecdotal. I don't know. I, I feel like I think when you start moving past the alternate day fasting where you're going, you know, more than 42 hours and 48 hours and 40, you know, 72 hours. I think that's when you have more of like the healing crisis type experience, those longer fasts. I know Peter Atia, who is a big fan of longer fasts, like he does a five day fast. I don't know how often he does it. Does he do it like once a month? He does it really often. And I don't know if he's updated since then, but at the beginning he was suggesting not going over 36 hours. But Tracy is talking more about, you know, daily IF routine. Yes, I think it's a great thing. And if you just want to do 36, just to be on the safe side, if you're doing the alternate daily fasting protocol, you can certainly do that with the 36-12 approach. And, you know, if that makes you feel a little more confident. And just like for the brief science of why we know that when you're fasting, you're upregulating all of these genes that are just really, really supporting the health of the body, boosting your immune system, tackling metabolic health issues. So yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing. And for the inflammation in the sinuses, if you haven't tried serapeptase, that might be a thing to try. It's really great for clearing inflammation. We have information about that at ifpodcast.com slash serapeptase. So that's a proteolytic enzyme by the Japanese silkworm that breaks down residual proteins in your system. So it can really help with inflammation. It's it's not a brand. It's a thing. So there are a lot of brands. So if you go to that uh, that link, which we will put in the show notes at ifpodcast.com slash episode 167, you can get more information there. So, all right. Next question. This comes from Donna. The subject is emotional eating. And Donna says... What suggestions do you have for emotional eaters wanting to do intermittent fasting? I don't eat because I'm hungry. I eat because I'm sad, happy, or bored. I can eat a lot in a five or eight hour window. Thank you. That's a tough one because I think that every person is going to have their own challenges with that. And, you know, I have struggled with emotional eating here and there. I think every person probably has. Like if I'm, you know, if my husband and I are arguing, 
I might be like, well, I'm going to eat this now, you know, <laughs> because I'm grouchy and this is not working out and you'll just eat something you wouldn't have normally eaten. I think we all have those experiences. But if you're really struggling, I think I would try to see, is it happening all the time or every now and then? You know, if it's something you're going through every single day, if every single day you find that you're emotionally eating, you know, a five or eight hour window, maybe you need a shorter window. You know, maybe you would feel better if you had a three-hour window or a four-hour window. You know, think about that. It's hard for me to give a lot of advice about it because this is not something I personally struggle with other than the rare occasion, you know, like I said, that maybe during PMS or maybe if we're having, you know, we're arguing at that time, I might feel the need to, you know, you want to soothe yourself with food. But I don't know, Melanie, what do you think about that? This question was perfect timing. I'm not sure when this episode that we're recording right now airs, but I believe I should have just aired on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, my interview with Glenn Livingston. He's the author of Never Binge Again. And I was talking to him and... Perfect. We were talking about how the book is called Never Binge Again, but he was saying in retrospect, it should be called Never Overeat Again. He just called it that because it was to tackle his binge eating tendencies. But I recommend this book to everybody if you experience any sort of emotional eating, overeating, binge eating, anything where you feel like you're not in control of the food choices or what you're putting in your mouth. I also thought tapping might be a great suggestion to make for Donna. Yeah, yeah. We can circle back around to that before I lose my train of thought here. So I was really excited, though, to tell you, Jen, about the episode. Listeners, please listen to it. It's incredible. So that episode will be at MelanieAvalon.com slash again. And so I was really excited because we talked at length about intermittent fasting because basically his protocol is he had an epiphany that – because he's a psychologist – And he had his own overeating, emotional eating problem that was really bad and interfering with his life. And he had an epiphany one day where he realized that, well, we talk about it at length in the episode, but basically he realized that, yes, there could be emotional reasons behind why you overeat, but solving them doesn't necessarily solve the overeating problem. So like you can have these emotions, you could turn to certain foods, you could figure out why that is through therapy, but like practically that doesn't necessarily materialize. And then also there's the fact that we might emotionally turn to foods because of the state we're in, but oftentimes the foods themselves are hijacking us, especially if they're like processed foods. And that's not an emotional thing. It's just literally eating this food. Brain chemistry kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like being brainwashed. So he came up with his plan, which actually aligns really well with intermittent fasting, but his plan is, you got to get his book, Never Binge Again. It's really short. It's hysterical, but it's basically where you create a food plan that is defined by nevers and always. So like, I will never do this. I will always do this. You identify that voice in your head that wants to eat the food, like that's saying, you know, when you're sad, it's like, I'm sad. I want to eat this food or I'm happy. I should eat this food. I'm bored. Let's eat this food. You You identify it as the pig. You literally call it the pig. You just don't listen to the pig. And it's this really, really radical shift because it doesn't require you to think about like not eating things because you're sad or like think about why you're doing it or like stress about it because you literally just create a plan and you stick to it. Like I said, it's really, really funny, but it was great because we talked intermittent fasting because he was saying that he's a huge fan of intermittent fasting, but he is saying in his practice that he finds intermittent fasting 
is wonderful and does really well with people, but that once people start intermittent fasting, he finds that if they fall off the wagon, so like if they stop intermittent fasting, that it's worse. So if they're like a binge eater and then they start an IF protocol and they're good, but then if they like stop IF, that the binging is actually worse than it was before. So stay consistent is what he's saying. Yeah. And what I was talking about him, because we talked about it for a really long time. And I think what the reason is, because I actually sort of like identify with this a little bit in the fact that before intermittent fasting, so when I was just eating all throughout the day, if I had been like, oh, I'm going to do a 12-hour window of eating, I could have done that. And then if I was like, oh, I could do an eight-hour window of eating, I could have done that. If I was like, if I slowly shortened it, I think I could have done it. Now that I always eat a one meal a day, and sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent from a question, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Jen. Now that I do one meal a day, the idea of lengthening my window, it's like, I can't. <laughs> so like if, if I wanted to do like a 16-8, for example, I would just want to eat for eight hours straight. I think it's kind of what Glenn was saying. Like, Is it because if your window is open, it's open? You're used to either it's on or off. You're eating or you're not eating. I get it. That's what we were talking about. It's like, I think that's what it is. I think it's that doing IF, if, especially if you're doing a shorter window, you start kind of this new circuitry where when you're eating, you're eating. And so it's harder to, I'm not trying to discourage people from doing IF at all. I'm just saying that it was a really interesting discussion to have and I definitely encourage you to listen to the episode. But he was asking me, he was like, do you have suggestions for like my clients who want to do IF with emotional eating? And I was saying, well, I told him about the clean fast. <laughs> I was like, definitely tell them about that. And then we also had the, the dialogue of, in a way, is for some people intermittent fasting a way for them to engage in almost like binge eating type tendencies, but it allows them to, you know, eat all they want in this window at night and then actually be healthier and grow thinner from it. Sorry, that was a long tangent, but it really made me think about things. But Donna, for your question as to, you know, emotional eaters with intermittent fasting, I actually think intermittent fasting can be a great thing if you do take this sort of like this never binge again approach. So if you can stop seeing it as like an emotional thing, like emotions are fine. If you turn to food because you're sad or happy or bored, like that's okay. You do that. We acknowledge that. Okay. You say you can eat a lot in a five or eight hour window. If you read the book, it'll be easier to do this. And it has a lot of rules, but a lot of details. But what you could do is you could create a plan that you stick to. If you're worried that you're going to overeat in a five or eight hour window, and especially tied to emotional things, I would say maybe you make like a smaller window or you could do like a five hour window. Maybe make your rules where it doesn't allow for things that would be a problem in that window. So if you're worried you're going to overeat on, you know, like processed foods and things like that, you could have your food plan say like never, you know, have these processed foods. So I will eat, you know, all of the fruits and vegetables and meat and whole foods in this window. And that's fine. Even if you're sad or happy or bored, that's fine because it's in this window. And then like your never list would be like, when I'm fasting, I don't. And then every time you hear this voice come up, that's like, I'm sad. I want to eat. I don't know what you crave, but I want to eat, you know, chocolate. You acknowledge that as the pig and it's just no. The point is you don't have to have like an emotional war with yourself about it. You can just create a plan and stick to it. And I'm not doing the book justice. So I really recommend getting the book. But I really think for emotional eaters, it's one of the most freeing approaches because it doesn't require you to like drain yourself with stressing about the emotional component. It allows you to just deal with it. You remove yourself from that emotional component. That's gone. It's, this is no longer an emotional decision. And you just say no. 
And once you start doing it, you realize that you can do it and it kind of self-perpetuates itself. And it's funny because in the book, he uses all these examples of the pig, like the things that'll say like, you know, oh, yes, we can, we have this plan, but, you know, you worked really hard today, so you really deserve it. And so you start to like hear this voice in your head and you realize, oh, that's the pig. So no, 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 no. One of my favorites he uses is, he says that the pig will say like, we can't start this plan until we read the whole book. So we might as well, you know, just emotionally eat or binge until, until we finish the book. Like it comes up and it's so true, the reasons it comes up with. I remember that back in my days of, you know, going to start a diet. I'm like, well, I'm starting the diet on Monday, so I better just eat everything o- over the weekend. The worst is like, oh, well, you already messed up, so you might as well just keep on going. (laughs) And so, Donna, I think IF is actually perfect because it actually falls in line with that, with having an always and a never. And I think if you can create this food plan with these always and nevers, I think that might work. So get that book. Short of that, you can definitely listen to my interview with him because we talk about all this. He was great. I told him if any of his clients want to... Because he wanted to know if like we had like a coaching session or anything. And I was like, no. But I was like, but if any of your clients have any questions for us, like email us and tell us that you sent them and we'll, we'll definitely, you know, answer them. One last thing. Jen mentioned tapping. That also would be a really amazing thing, which tapping is basically, we've talked about it at length, but it's where you tap on certain points in your body that activate, it's kind of like acupressure, but it activates the parasympathetic resting state of your nervous system and it reprograms your brain not to have a stress or a fear response to something that you're dealing with. So definitely check that out. I have an episode on it. It's at melanieavalon.com slash tapping. That's with Nick Ortner, who wrote The Tapping Solution. You can get his book, The Tapping Solution, and he also has a tapping app as well. So we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Are you still tapping, Jen? I was doing it every day. Then I went to the beach and then I came back and haven't done it since. Oh, wait, that reminds me. Can I tell you one other thing about the break-in? It made me realize just how effective feels is. Oh, my goodness. It like literally the break-in happened and I was like, you know, crying, stressed out, freaking out, worst day ever. I was like, I'm just going to dose up on feel CBD oil. I took, I like way overdosed literally within like, actually not even that long, like a couple minutes. I was like, I feel so good. I was like laughing. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. It's pretty incredible. I went through like half a bottle of feels though. Normally it lasts me like a month. (laughs) Yeah. And if any listeners would like the feels CBD oil, it's feels.com slash I have podcasts for 50% off. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, 
enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up a Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. All right, here is a question from Jenny. The subject is processed foods. And Jenny says, I've been trying to eat better along with IF. Some advice is confusing to me and I would like clarification. I know I'm supposed to stay away from processed foods, but I get confused when it comes to meat and cheese slash milk products. Unless I kill the animal myself or drink straight from the udder, isn't it all processed? Someone has to make the cheese and cut the meat. Please help me know what I'm doing and what I'm choosing to eat. Thank you for all the work you both do. It keeps me going when I don't want to. I loved this question. Me too. I loved it. It's such a good question. And Jenny, you're right. So in my new book, Fast Feast Repeat, which is available now, you can get it anywhere you like to order books. It's exciting. I think that's the first time we've said that. That it's available now? Yeah. Anyway, in chapter 17, the chapter 17 is called Beans versus Jelly Beans. Does food quality matter? And, you know, one of those is a processed food and one is not. And so the key is the terminology ultra processed. You know, that's the the latest terminology, ultra processed, because you're right. You know, cheese is a a real food, but it has been processed. You know, I make homemade bread from scratch. I mill the wheat myself and it's processed, but is it ultra processed? The answer is no. So, I did a lot of research for fast feast repeat. 
And there's something called the NOVA Food Classification System, and this is a really great way of understanding it. I have a whole chart in the book about the NOVA Classification System, and what we want to avoid is the ultra-processed foods. So, you know, we've got the Group 1 foods. Those are the ones that are just like, you know, like they are. Like it's you went outside and you picked a tomato. That is Group 1. It's unprocessed or minimally processed. Group 2 is processed culinary ingredients. You know, these are things we use in our cooking, such as butter. You know, that is processed ingredients, but it's not, I mean, you know, I could be living on a farm, go milk the cow, churn it, and I've made butter. You know, that's still a natural food. I've churned it, but I've got my butter here. But it's, it's still been processed. That's why it's in group two. Then we've got group three, That's what we call processed foods. You know, the bread that I make myself at home would fit into that category. It's a processed food, but it's made from wheat flour that I ground myself. You know, I put in butter, I put in salt, I put in yeast. It's a very traditional way of making bread. Someone, you know, from 100 years ago, 200 years ago, they would recognize that food. It's not in a package. It's not in a pouch. I made it myself. Category four is what we want to avoid. That's the ultra-processed foods. And this is the simple description of that. I'm going to read it to you. It says, products made with little to no fresh food content with a large quantity of refined and processed additives. That's what we want to avoid. So you want to, you know, stick to as many real things as you want. Yes, you know, they're going to be processed. But there's a lot of difference between I keep going back to the bread that I make. The bread that I make at home versus a loaf of white bread with 50 ingredients in it. And you read those ingredients, you don't even know what they are. And if you wanted to make a recipe following that list, you wouldn't even be able to get those ingredients because they're not even food. So I think the terminology ultra-processed is, you know, we're starting to see that in the science journals. There's a research study that I reference in that chapter as well. And the whole idea is ultra-processed is not what we want. You know, but you go to the grocery store, and gosh, I wish I knew the percentage, but as you go up and down the aisles of the grocery store, most of the things in there really are ultra-processed. Instead, you know, stick to the perimeter, stick to the produce section, you know, stick to things with minimal ingredients and the ingredients that you recognize. So they may be processed, but the health benefits of the more natural quote, processed foods are so much better than the ultra-processed foods. Have you been hearing that terminology, Melanie, ultra-processed? I have. I wasn't familiar with the different definitions. So what was the definition of tier three? Tier three, the processed foods, they say foods made from a combination of fresh foods and culinary items. So it's like you're adding things together from group one and group two. You know, like last night, I made homemade pizza from scratch. I ground the wheat into flour, (laughs) made my pizza crust from scratch. I put yeast in there, and I let it rise, and then I made the crust, and I, you know, cut up vegetables. Those are ingredients from, you know, one. So it had culinary ingredients, processed culinary ingredients. Well, so for tier two culinary ingredients, that's oils, butter, flour, sugar, things like that. Those are processed culinary ingredients. In group one, the unprocessed or minimally processed foods, those are things like fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, milk, eggs, meat. So basically what I like to eat. (laughs) 
Yeah, you're probably a lot of group one. It's actually what we were talking about at the beginning when you were like talking about my definition of paleo. Okay, so maybe your definition of paleo is group one on the Nova scale. Because group two is, oh, I, I'm, this is a fun conversation. Okay, so group two is. I'm glad I knew I, that this would be good. I said, yeah, group two is you cook with them. It's your oils, your butter, your flour, your sugar, your honey, your salt, things like that. And that typically in like a quote paleo template, it'll include things like oils, honey. Okay. So that's all right. You can add that in. And then so group three is when you combine that together. Like homemade bread. Cheese would actually be an example of group three. Wouldn't it be group two? No. Why? And I did not make this up. I'm just reporting it from the Nova scale. Well, because cheese has had more done to it. The culinary ingredients have been added to the... It's not just... If it's just cultured I guess, okay, technically, yes, that kind of cheese would... Are they assuming, like, it's like American cheese or something? Like, No, they're not. No, no, American cheese would not be there. Basically, all right, here we go. Okay, I'm going to read you. This is what it says. This is group three, the processed. These foods have been made by combining items from group one and group two. Processes include a wide variety of preservation and or cooking methods, including fermentation. Oh, so if it's fermented, it goes to group three. I did not make this scale up. I'm just reporting it to you. But yeah, the Nova food classification system. Yep, they consider that group three. But see, you have to understand, they're not saying that group three is bad or wrong or avoid these. These are good foods. These are traditional foods, but they have been processed by humans more so than I just milked the cow. And then group four is when they add in all the the other stuff. It's when they start adding in preservatives, stabilizers, dyes, artificial flavors. If you couldn't go to the grocery store and find that ingredient yourself, and it's got a bunch of things like that in there, it's it's going to be ultra-processed, packaged, things like that. Although canned goods can actually be in group three, the processed category, you know, like a, like a can of peas. It's really interesting that they put like fermentation into group three and not group two. Well, they did. So it's kind of like group two is, like you said, like the culinary ingredients. And then when there's another layer of preparation or processing or combination. So it's like one of those two moves it to group three. It does. Right. So what Jenny is talking about is group three foods, like making the cheese, you know, <laughs> that's, that's group three. And that is processed. So instead of thinking it as processed foods are bad, think of it as ultra processed foods are something we should avoid. But foods are going to be processed. And I loved reading this so much because we've we've struggled with that. Because, you know, when we say avoid processed foods, and what about yogurt? Yogurt's been processed. So they would put yogurt in group three, right? Well, or it could be group four if it had other stuff in it. Well, right. There you go. See, yogurt could be group three or group four. Avoid group four yogurt, eat group three yogurt. Avoid the ultra-processed ones where it has like, you know, 20 ingredients in there and you're like, what even is that? That's not what you want. And so your goal is just to always make sure that it's made from real things. This is so interesting because it, so if I'm taking that scale, which this is like really loving this conversation, if I take that scale and apply it through the template of What When Wine, which is my book, which stands for Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting and Wine, or that's the subtitle, through that template for people who follow a more, quote, paleo approach. So group one would obviously be green light with the exceptions of, you know, certain food categories like grains and such. But group two is things like oils, honey, stuff like that, which 
I talk about being, quote, paleo, but like I always think it's best to err on the side of whole foods when possible. Group three, there could be, quote, paleo versions of that because like I have recipes for like paleo, you know, cake or paleo, you know, it's like creating like a paleo paleo recipes that would fall into that. Right. A paleo recipe is group three, but you don't have any group four going on in your recommendations. So through that scale for the template that I would encourage, which I know now we're being (laughs) confusing because she's saying there's, you know, so much different advice, but Jen and I are mostly on the same page. Mine is just a slightly more quote paleo version. So like in my version, one would be always, you know, great with the exception, like I said, of grains. Well, now there's the dairy thing, but I would be like encouraging group one, group two, but not going heavy on it. And then group three, depending on what ingredients you're using and not making it a staple. So see, this is very exciting to me, Melanie, because you know how I keep saying that people need to read Fast, Feast, Repeat. Even if you think you know everything, you're going to learn something new. You just learned something new. I did. I know. I learned so much. I mean, I really dug deep into every one of these topics. And so, you know, like the chapter on mindset. You may have, you know, I had a blog post about mindset that was like a tiny little baby post. It had a few little things in there. But I have a whole chapter in the book about mindset, which has the research even beyond that of belief and, you know, talks about placebo and the research on that and and how important our thoughts are and so many new things. Even if you think you know everything about intermittent fasting and how to eat and what you're eating, and I promise you will learn something new reading this book. So get it today. Now, well, I still have to read it. Yeah, Melanie has it, hasn't read it yet. Now you really have to come on my show because now I definitely know that we'll have a lot to talk about. Well, there's so much in here. I mean, I learned stuff writing it because I didn't just, you know, sit back and rehash, delay, don't deny. No, and I dug in and I, I went in, you know, there's so many studies that I talked about, new studies, studies that were new to me, and I looked for them you know, the new research, the new science, but more than just about fasting, because the first part is about fasting, fast. And then the second part is all about food, feast. (laughs) That's how it's organized. And you know, how do you decide what food works best for you? So I talk about the whole idea of bio-individuality. Oh, 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 can I rant about that for a second? Mm -hmm. The whole idea that we're all different when it comes to what foods work for us. And, you know, we've been talking about, you know, genetics, you know, you You may have a a certain genetic, you know, maybe you're better with lower fat approach or maybe you're better with a lower carb approach. But Wow, it's raining. (laughs) Yeah, it's raining here. There's some controversy to that, to whether, you know, that actually works, whether people can use their genetics to determine what foods work well for them. So I've been experimenting more with eating based on my DNA recommendations after we had the conversation here on the podcast about mastering diabetes and how low fat is really low fat. And then I realized that's what my DNA recommendations were. So then I was doing some just reading about it. I was Googling it because I love to learn more about it. And I, they had done a study that they claim debunked the whole idea of eating for your DNA And I wanted to punch the computer. (laughs) That's how mad I was because they used the DNA to predict whether people would be better on low fat or low carb. And then they did the study with them. I can't remember the number right off, though. But the amount of fat, like the low fat people, they were not really eating low fat. And the people who they claimed were doing low carb, they were eating over 100 grams of carbohydrates a day and calling that low carb. Well, guess what? There was no difference. Well, they weren't really doing it. So I bet the low fat wasn't even remotely 
No, it wasn't low fat. It certainly wasn't 15% fat like they talk about in Mastering Diabetes. So they determined that eating for your genetic profile didn't work by putting people on diets that were neither low fat nor low carb. (laughs) And I was just screaming at the computer. My husband's like, calm it down. But I'm like, look at this. He's like, I don't even care. I'm like, no, I'm going to have to tell Melanie. She'll get it. That's really frustrating. It made me so frustrated. So they're like, nope, it doesn't work. And then, of course, you can find all these articles that are like, yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, I'll say for listeners, if you ever see a study talking about low fat or low carb, I think the low carb needs to be at least like probably 30 grams net carbs or less. I would say so, too. And low fat. Probably a similar kind of number, really. Similar, yeah, 10, 15% fat of the diet, probably. So anyway, it was so frustrating. And there's reasons for that. It's because if you go above, even if it's just a, a little bit, you can potentially, most likely, completely short circuit every single metabolic, like enzymatic change that you needed to happen to get the benefits will not happen. Right. So the whole theory of why that was better, you're not getting it because you're not really doing it. Yeah. It like literally makes it like not applicable. Well, it's like the people who said they were doing fasting, but then they were having, you know, whatever, and they weren't really fasting clean. And they're like, yeah, fasting didn't work for me. Well, were you really fasting? No, you were having creamer. So it's the same kind of an idea. Yeah. I wanted to say one last thing for Jenny's question. Okay. Because I thought it was so interesting because she was saying that she gets confused when it comes to meat. And she was talking about like, unless she, you know, kills the animal herself. So it was like, I'm wondering if she thinks like, is she asking like, is a steak processed? Or is she asking like, is, you know, deli meat processed? Yeah, like a, a steak would would not would not be. It's, yeah. I wasn't familiar with that scale. But when I was just thinking about the question, the way I thought about it was, there's basically food, you know, that, that's clearly unprocessed that hasn't even been touched. Oh, here's the thing. <laughs> I actually do want to say this caveat. So some foods in their completely unprocessed state, we can't eat them. So that's like grains, actually. Yeah, you got to do something with the grain. You don't just go out there and eat the raw grain. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reason I think I wanted to make that caveat because I, I felt, you know, because I'm saying, oh, category one, but not you know, like grains. So that's because grains actually require processing. So does that scale put grains in category one? Well, whole grain. Well, all right, this is what they say exactly. This is group one. They call it unprocessed or minimally processed foods. Okay, so actually grinding my wheat is actually going to count here because it says these foods are the edible parts of plants, the seeds, fruits, leaves, stems, or roots, and animals meat, dairy, eggs. And foods fit into this category if they have had inedible or unwanted parts removed or if they have been crushed or dried for the purpose of preservation storage or to make them safe or edible. So that would count. Grinding the wheat, it's still all of it. Unprocessed or minimally processed, they call that group one. What about like oats? It doesn't have every food listed. So you kind of have to say, what would I think that this would be? Like if you So like rice. Well, there could be rice that's group one, but then I think there's also could be rice that's group three or even group four, really. But it just depends on how much they do to it. Like, for example, once my flour went from I just ground it up in my wheat mill and used the whole thing, I could call that group one, right? But if I got, you know, the white flour that has had the bran all separated out, it's still 
they haven't added a bunch of stuff to it. I don't know. That's tricky. Now I'm gonna have to think about that. I don't know. We can save. We can save this for when I interview you. Don't overcomplicate it, everybody. You could make yourself nuts. Really, the whole point is this: Have they added a bunch of stuff to it, and it's no longer recognizable? That's what you want to avoid. Like I said, I wasn't familiar with the scale, but what I was just thinking, which is, I was thinking of a more general overview, was basically there's food that we can just walk up and eat. So it's clearly not processed. And then we, as a species, have methods of food preparation and cooking. And we also have methods of processing. And so I don't consider methods of traditional food preparation and cooking. So like heating it up or even for me, like fermenting or, you know, things like that for like meat. So like cutting it and then like grilling a steak or I don't consider that processing. I consider processing when you are changing the food so that the food itself no longer exhibits really the properties of that original food. So like if you cook, you know, vegetables, yes, it changes the breakdown of the proteins or maybe the fiber, things like that. Or if you cook animal foods, it, well, it's really changing out, you know, the fats and the proteins and things like that, but it's not changing like the actual, like what is that food? It's still meat. It's when you like add in other things or go in and remove parts of it that I consider it processing. So that's why I would actually consider, you know, making flour. If you're removing something, I would consider it processing. Yeah, I do think that that white flour probably would go in the ultra processed because they've taken out all the, the whole grain part of it. Yeah, just my like random casual perspective is I consider processing where you are adding something to it or you are removing something from it. Although, I mean, I don't know, devil's advocate, when you peel a banana. In that perspective, you don't eat the peel anyway. No, you don't. So I would say like removing or adding to the edible portion. Okay, yeah, like when you're taking out the the bran from the, the wheat flour and turning it into the more processed. But anyway, the terminology I want people to focus on, don't worry so much about anything. I really think if you think back to your great, 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 great grandparents, if they could have made it before electricity, it's probably okay. Like if you think about it, for example, like we started cooking meat, for example, for a few different reasons. One being it was in order to, you know, get rid of pathogens in the meat to make it safer. So it, it's not like you're processing the meat. You're just doing something to the meat to make it safer for the human system. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. 
That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy that includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. I did learn a really interesting fact. Did you know that there are some ancient cultures that like with dairy, because I was researching this a little bit, specifically, like they would make cheese and butter and stuff like that because they would not drink fresh milk because I don't know if they knew this was the reason, but it has something to do with the hormones in the milk. So like after you do this quote processing, you know, making it into cheese and butter, it gets rid of the potential problems of the hormones when milk is like fresh milk made to like nurture a animal. I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. It, you know, so many of the things, I think the book Deep Nutrition, is that the one that talks about, you know, so many of the things with food? So many people with their traditional ways of eating, they were doing these things and they didn't even, they couldn't have scientifically told you why. But when we go back and look at it, now we can figure out scientifically why, but they just kind of figured out to do those things. And it worked really well for their bodies. It's doing something to the food to make the food healthier for a body in some way. That's why I think like I don't have a problem with like fermenting or things like that. Oh, I definitely don't have a problem with it. I I don't want anybody to think that that Category 3 processed is bad and that they should avoid it. You know, we can make ourselves crazy. I would make my own scale. That would be a little bit different. But I like that scale. There's some things in there I probably would make differently, too. What I like about that scale is it helps us to understand the fourth category, which is the one we really need to worry about, ultra-processed. We definitely are on the same page about that one. <laughs> yeah. that's That's really... 
what you need to worry about because it's impossible. I mean, okay, I'm not going to say impossible. For me, it would not be a livable way to live to never eat anything from category two or category three. And even category one, you know, you know, maybe someone's milled the wheat, you know, or chopped it up somehow or removed the inedible part. So I can't just live in category one only. I'm going to be category one, category two, category three. And heck, I'm even going to eat some category four, but that's not the main part of what I'm eating. Yeah. And like for me, my dream world is category one. <laughs> like for the happiest I was probably with food was when I was just eating like fish and fruit and cucumbers. Well, that's certainly, you know, a very good, easy way to live. But if you like those foods and you can just, you don't have to worry, right? Actually, the only di- the only difference now is I eat, I have MCT oil, which that would actually be category probably three. I don't know. I think MCT might possibly be a two because it's a, it's an oil. It just requires like, it's more processed than like olive oil. Yeah, it is. Here's a study that I, I cited in Fast Feast Repeat. And the name of the, the study is Ultra Processed Diets Cause Excess Calorie Intake and Weight Gain, an Impatient Randomized Controlled Trial of Ad Libitum Food Intake. So it was a, a 2019 study that talked about how when people are eating mostly on that ultra processed side, basically people are eating more. Because it, you don't have your satiety signals, and you keep eating and eating and eating, and also your body can access the energy in those foods more easily because they've already been broken down for you. And so there's so many reasons why that's not the way that our bodies are healthy. The chemicals, of course, and there are you know, so many things about those foods. But You know what? Something else Glenn said about that that I had not heard before, really? He was saying that actually the Feast signal itself can perpetuate binging or overeating because it signals to the body. Like if you look at it from like historical perspective of like the feasting would be time when you are supposed to be like eating all the things to stock up for the winter. So like reaching that state of feasting can actually encourage you to even eat more because it's like you're on the train of like, oh, this is feast time must eat more. And so I think that could happen as well with these processed foods, you know, because it's like, oh, the processed foods, yeah, they don't turn off the signal. Yeah, but at the same time, they also, they tell your body, like, massive amount of calories, and it might be tying into this evolutionary thing where when we are exposed to massive amounts of calories like that, we naturally want to, like, hoard it all because that would be the thing to do back then. Well, and I think the key is to give yourself grace when this happens and realize that it's not because you're bad or you're weak. It's just that your body is responding to these things and the way that bodies respond. And so it's not your fault if you overdo the Doritos, for example. He also said, because he used to be a consultant for companies that sort of like relate to this. And he said that one of the companies told him that they saw the biggest increase in sales when they took the money that they were using to I guess, add vitamins and stuff. And they instead put it towards the advertising. So like made it look more like colorful and sound better. And like sales skyrocketed because it made it look like, he was talking about how like colors and stuff to us signal like nutrition because like in in nature, like different colors, like berries and fruits and funfetti. 
I know, I know. It signals our brain nutrition and, and like good and nutrients. But then especially in this ultra processed form, there's not the nutrients. It's literally the worst of everything because it's like we see it and we're like our body thinks, yes, nutrition, give me. And, but then it gets nothing. Right. And then your body's like, that wasn't it. That wasn't. Yeah. But it's so it just has stores it, you know, as fat. And so it's not your fault if you're trapped in that cycle and, and your body is wanting you to eat more and more and more. But as you move away from the ultra processed foods, you actually get full faster when you're eating, you know, for high nutrition. And you might even actually be eating significantly less and you'll get fuller faster. But your body's happy. Yep. Well, such a great discussion. I loved it. And I love talking about the new book. Yeah, so we'll have to schedule you. Now that we had this little teaser conversation, I am sure that we'll have a lot to talk about. For listeners, Jen's like, what are we going to talk about? I know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you have no idea. We have, <laughs> I haven't even read it yet, but I know we'll, we'll have a lot. There's a lot in there. It's really got a lot in there. I'm very, very proud of this book. I worked hard on it. Trust me. I want everybody to buy your book. I do too. <laughs> I really, the, I wrote this book for really like if Facebook exploded which it might. Facebook might explode. <laughs> Everything, people are having a hard time on Facebook right now. It's very tense. But if Facebook exploded completely and no one ever used it again and it was gone, I would like this book to be able to like teach you what to do. And you could just follow the book and that would be it. Everything you need to know is in this book. Every question that people have asked on Facebook, because I've heard them all multiple times a day, I think this is why we'll always have books, you know? We need books. I can only think of one question that's not in the book, and I purposefully didn't put it in because it was racy. And I don't mean race like 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 a race, but I mean like racy like naughty. Oh, was it about sex drive or something? Well, it was about bedroom activities and whether they break the fast. Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> I did not need to say that out loud, but that's the only frequently asked question that I didn't put in the book because I just refused. People ask that a lot. Yes. Yes. And in the day before we had post approval, I'd be like teaching school. Okay. Back in the day before I retired, before we had post approval, I'd be teaching school, trying to, you know, live a life. And someone would drop that question in, of course, because we had no post approval and people would freak out and send me messages and leave the group and say, I thought this was a good group. And now, you're, and I'm like, oh my God, people. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, our, our standard answer to that question, in case you're wondering, is don't even worry about that. <laughs> don't even ask. If, if you're having to make decisions like that, just, just you know. <laughs> Sometimes you don't worry about whether something breaks the fast. You live your life. But I did not put that in the book. That's literally the only question I did not put in the book was that one. It's kind of like with the whole the break-in thing. Does your family have like a, a code word thing? No. I realized we probably should have one basically where it's like a word where like if something happens and somebody, you know, kidnaps you and is making you pretend like everything's okay so that you can let your family know something's wrong. But I made the mistake of Googling safe word. I was like, oh, that's not the correct. Oh, <laughs> don't look that up. And then I was like, I was like, what am I Googling? I could not figure out how to like phrase it. Family code phrase. <laughs> but anyway, so now everyone knows the one question that's not answered in fast face repeat, but really everything else is. The things people ask a hundred times a day. 
Well, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Again, the show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 167. If you'd like to submit your own questions to the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com. You can submit questions there. Definitely, definitely want to subscribe to us in iTunes. Then you will get the shows downloaded automatically. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are the IF Podcast. I'm at Melanie Avalon and Jen is at Jen Stevens. Yeah, I think that's it. Anything else from you, Jen, before we go? Nope, that's it. All right. We will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories, and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.